Hello, good morning, good evening. Welcome to another episode of the Silicon Sasquatch podcast. This is episode 46 of our podcast. I'm your host for this evening, or for whenever you listen to this. My name is Doug Bonham. I'm joined tonight, today, by Nick Cummings. Hey, hey. And Aaron Thayer. Hello, everyone. We are gathered here today to do a discussion about some of the culture behind gaming and some of the cultural trends that are happening right now. Unfortunately, this isn't as happy a cultural trends podcast as we've done in the past. Since today, we're going to be talking about diversity in gaming, diversity in games, diversity in the gaming culture, and kind of how it reflects on our current society and culture as a whole. So we're going to start off with one flashpoint that happened earlier this year, earlier this summer at E3. They, as per usual, a new Assassin's Creed game was unveiled at E3, Assassin's Creed Unity, which takes place in the French Revolution. And it looks like it's going to be very fun and very interesting. And it looks like another Assassin's Creed game with some unique, fun twists. Pre-order now. Pre-order now. (laughs) Depends (laughs) on which bundle you want to get. Check your spreadsheet for version and their details. In uh, Assassin's Creed Unity, one of the new features is co-op multiplayer. So you can join in to other people and help them assassinate better. Assassin's Creed 7, Assassin Harder. Um, is it 7? I don't yeah. know if it's 7, but it, it might totally actually be 7. Is. That's scary. I just kind of pulled that one right out of my rear end, and it was correct. <laughs> You've been keeping track, though. I rolled 7s. So what can I say? Um, it's pretty bad in d Anyway. Yeah. Well, one of the features is you can join in in co-op. Unfortunately, you have little to no choice over your avatar for co-op. It was revealed at E3 as well that everybody is going to be using male characters. And when you're in the game, you're going to appear as the main character, Arno. This set off controversy, not necessarily because of what it was. It's a little sad that it's only male characters but because of what the explanation was and to double check what that explanation was and to get the quote exactly so the statements that we're talking about this and talking about why you can only use male characters came from ubisoft corrective direct creative director alex amancio to polygon he said it's double the animations to have female characters it's double the voices all that stuff and double the visual assets Especially because we have customizable assassins. So the excuse or the reason that was given is because it was too much work. This excuse lasted precisely one day at E3 2014 before it was altered and changed after a backlash to where he said, quote, I understand the issue, but it's not relevant in Assassin's Creed Unity. They're one drop in the ocean having animations and different things for a female character. They're one part of it. Again, we're telling the story of Arno, a specific character's story. The reason we're just changing the face and keeping the bodies is we want people to show off their gear that they picked up in the game through exploration. So again, the, the core tenet of this explanation is the gear is set to a human male body as opposed to a female body. This was refuted. The original... Well, it's double everything. Argument was refuted by a former uh, Assassin's Creed and Ubisoft animator who said that it's a days or two's work, in his opinion, not a replacement of 8,000 animations. And in more detail in an article he gave after the uh, this original explanation of double the work came out, it was described that... Mm, You could cut corners, you can reuse a lot of the basic structural polygonal skeleton of the character to change from female to male, and that there are ways to do it if you really wanted to do it kind of dirty, kind of quick. And also the underlying secret of game design is that a lot of that stuff happens anyways. Not everything (laughs) is perfectly polished. I think Nick can attest to this, given your current uh, game development trials and tribulations. My life is quick and dirty right now. Yeah. Um, in general, it seems like video games are everything's on fire until all of a sudden it's all perfect and everything's ready to ship. Yeah. So this flashed up and around E3, other creators and designers were asked, what about your game? Why don't you have a female character? Why don't you have more diversity? Um, 
It's the people from Far Cry 4 dodged in front of the, the gunfire and said, we were this close to having a female character, but... Which doesn't really do that much service either. Um, and this this tone, this idea, this, well, why are all the male... Why are the protagonists males when they're not, except for you know, Tomb Raider? Why is everybody a male? Like, this became a major running topic throughout E3. So, gentlemen, what do you say about Assassin's Creed Unity? Who do you give more water to? The people saying it would take a lot of redoing? The former animator who says, ah, quick and dirty would be easy to do. Like, And what do we think of this in general? Um, I am happy to tackle my introduction to this issue. Okay. Um, So... I really have the feeling that this took off as a controversy, which that's a loaded term anymore on right. uh, any sort of story, be it in gaming or not. Controversy kind of has this negative uh, annotation, but this took off, like you said, because it was phrased as um, as unfortunate as I'm sure that director later felt that it was too much work, that he's implying women themselves even creating a woman for a video game is too much work and that plays into all these gender stereotypes and gender expectations and just the way we as a society perceive women it also goes back to the basic idea that the male is normal the female is weird right i mean that that's something that women are fighting all the time even in loving relationships i'm sure but yes um with gaming and specific to that what bothered me about it and what I think resonated with the community, um, we, of course, see the negative side of gamers and the sexism and the racism online in anonymity that they are allowed to have. But this kind of brings forth a lot of the uh, great writing that has been done by female games journalists, by just female games commentators. And we'll get to some of that. Um, but it's just, again, proving kind of the skull thick skullness of the game's development field in some cases on these big AAA games to just not even consider that a woman who plays these games, not all women just play puzzle games or play mobile games. A lot of women play these big Assassin's Creed type games to not even consider that they would want to be represented, to not even think that that's important regardless of whether their explanation is that, okay, well, everyone in co-op is just a copy of Arno the main character, that's kind of a cheap cop-out to me. So I think that this became a issue, and one that I agree with, because it just highlighted the complete insensitivity or just the ignorance of these decisions that are made on a business level to not represent people who really exist. Nick, what's your take? What weirded me out the most about this um, was that I've played every Assassin's Creed game, for better or worse, and... I played a bit of the multiplayer, and in multiplayer, there are, I think there are a good number of female characters. It's not mm-hmm. like this team, this company, doesn't have assets to pull from, or experience modeling 3D, uh, or sorry, female characters in 3D with you know a full range of animations for, you know, what you do in Assassin's Creed, stabbing people in the face and jumping on them while stabbing them in the face, and occasionally sitting on a bench. There's not a whole lot. I mean, like I'm grossly oversimplifying this, but really. It it sticks out like a sore thumb to me as a fan of the series that there is no female character option in this game. When previously, most games in the series had had that. So, and I, I will fully admit that I'm a very inexperienced game developer, but I'm, I have a cursory familiar, familiarity with, like, standard uh, animation tools, rendering tools for 3D games, and I believe that you know, if you have a good sense of who you're trying to animate, I mean, obviously the studios probably do lots of motion capture, but an an animator with a good sense of style and um, purpose behind what they're animating should be able to modify existing animations to better fit a different character. Yeah. They even have Aveline from the side game yeah. for Assassin's Creed. She was yes. a protagonist female assassin. True. And, like, you could argue about whether or not most of her animations were lifted directly from Connor, the protagonist of Assassin's Creed 3, or not. And several of them look like they may have been. But, mm-hmm. that yeah, that's, there is an entire Assassin's Creed game where you play as a female protagonist. Well, and then also that brings up the question, like, does it matter? Right. If there's like, only been does, an Assassin's does, Creed is, game with a female character? Um, or 
you know, just say there's copy of animations between male shepherd and female shepherd in Mass Effect. Yeah. Who noticed that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did anybody notice that? I don't remember ever seeing that being a critical point. Oh, she she looks like a woman. She she's modeled like a woman, but she doesn't move like a woman. So it's it's a video game still at this point, and there's still some leeway. There's still some you know, there's not quite to the uncanny valley with animation for in-game assets and stuff. But do you have to mocap a woman just to be able to to make it a playable character? I don't think so. I personally don't think so. I don't think so either. No, I think that if you're looking at that in that perspective, you're like. You're you're heading down a slippery slope of how do you differentiate between sexes in a game, right? Yeah. And you might be choosing the female model or having an actress uh, do motion capture on a female model who is perhaps sultry or sexy, or she is moving as what some kind of male might perceive a woman to move as. So you yes. can get yourself down kind of uh, a hole of well, this is what we think women move like in our game or something yeah. like that. If I if I had to hazard a guess about what this is all stemming from for Ubisoft, uh, which is the publisher of Assassin's Creed and the developer, uh, it comes down to I, I honestly fear that it comes down to a dread they may have that their their base, like their most dedicated purchasers, the people who bring in the most money, are people who would not want to be stuck playing a female character in Assassin's Creed. You know I. I kind of want to counter that a little bit, not in defense of them, but I feel that this specific example uh, with Unity is just ignorance. I mean, I, I I guess I'm hoping that they aren't that aware, like you're implying, Nick, that um, they're concerned about market research that they might have or uh, a profitability of the series because it's a huge multi-million um, copy selling series. So I think you definitely have a point in that could be the issue but i just want to attribute it to ignorance which doesn't excuse it at all but it just makes me think that um i i don't know i mean there's not really a clear explanation outside of the animation uh that they talked about but yeah again where does that stem from like why wasn't the animation or the models a part of it from the beginning in the development design documentation stages and if they've done it before in multiplayer and other games, and the fact that every game, pretty much every game now, even if the female models are grossly exaggerated, has a female character available of some kind. I mean, it's pretty common now. And the customization factor of most AAA games that's important to them, um, a big one coming up is Destiny and other MMO games where a lot of male players play female characters and i know mm-hmm. that from first-hand experience it just seems like a complete miss on their part yeah. with no good reason and i i think i think you i hope you're right that it does just come down to ignorance and they're learning a lesson through this whole dialogue um but i also have to wonder for a company that big that is so focused you know has external shareholders if they weren't yeah. looking at the metacritic scores of assassin's creed um liberation which was one that started Aveline. And comparing that to the rest of the series and realizing that, hey, there was a significant dip here. Other than the platform, what were the big differences in this game in terms of how it was That's perceived, fair. how it was marketed, etc.? So, But yeah, I, th- I, I think, and again, we, we've talked a little bit about this in our kind of pre-discussions before this episode. I think that's looking, that's them, if that's the case, looking at the business results, looking at, oh, this game didn't sell too well, and blaming it on the wrong factor. Like, it'd be blaming it on being a female character instead of blaming it on being on a new platform with a very small install base that's still struggling to gain a foothold. Yeah, which would be why they re-released it in HD later to get right. more sales where they could. Yeah, But even that, it, it wasn't hyped, it wasn't built up, no. it wasn't a main series game. If they sent out Assassin's Creed Unity in the French Revolution but with a female protagonist, that would I think that would do just as well. I don't yeah, think it would make any difference. That is another, um, you know, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here in our discussion, but that does seem like another representation problem with the confidence of a, if it really does matter in a positive sense, if it matters who the protagonist is, which I really do think less and less it matters, um, because we can have the protagonist like Aiden Pierce. 
uh, in Watch Dogs and completely just a cipher of a human being and angry and white male and nobody really cares what he does. He doesn't matter to the story enough. It could have been, uh, you know, Alana Pierce or something. It could have been a female hacker who's also murderous. And I think we're getting to the point where protagonist of the story, unless it really is a well-developed character that explores their character as a person, an individual, not just I'm a male who kills. Uh, it doesn't matter who they choose. But yeah, they're making a big mistake in just assuming in this industry we have where it is volatile and it is reactionary to Metacritic review scores that if it doesn't sell well, developers don't get their bonus, sequels aren't made, and things like that, that you're right, they might just be assuming uh, Liberation's problems were related to its character and not its actual gameplay problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Or to, to go into a greater business discussion, just because there's data doesn't mean all data is the right data to read. Right. Yep. Like we, That's a huge problem. It could be... Oh, let's see. Um, Beyond Good and Evil was uh, it wasn't as big a hit as they wanted, but it was a a budget title at a weird time on systems that were being phased out, and it wasn't yeah. it wasn't given the push like a Call of Duty game or Assassin's Creed game. What if it, it's unfortunately the chicken and egg problem? There's not going to be a breakout hit with a female protagonist. Until there's a breakout hit with a female protagonist. Well, what defines a breakout yeah. hit? Like, you know, it's yeah. crazy. But remember how Tomb Raider was only considered a success, the reboot that just came out last year, when it crossed, I think, six million copies sold. Right. And like, like nothing's nothing's going to do Call of Duty numbers until it's given a Call of Duty push. But nothing will get a Call of Duty push until it does Call of Duty numbers on its own. It's and the, the catch twenty two. Call of Duty is probably part of the problem too. Yeah. But are we going to get I into mean, that part of our discussion? Um. I just want to add, as a hilarious point, that the the like last three games that we brought up prior to saying Call of Duty were all Ubisoft games. Yeah, <laughs> Beyond Good and Evil, Watch Dogs, and Assassin's Creed all have these problems. So I wonder if Ubisoft just has a lot of uh, conflicting opinions right now internally. I mean, at the same time, I want to laud Ubisoft for having the courage to launch a game like Beyond Good and Evil and then release an updated version for consoles a couple of years back. Yes, like yes, and even Child of Light recently. Yeah. I forget oh, yeah. things about um, was it Valiant Hearts, the Civil War or World War One game? Yeah, yep. They're taking risks, yeah. at least. So, but just not the right ones. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's kind Maybe. of what it boils down to. <laughs> but one thing I want to mention before we move on is just that I remember the same controversy coming up when Grand Theft Auto Five announced its three playable characters, and there was a yeah. kind of mm -hmm. a I don't know if it came from fans or from the press more, but kind of a question of why have we gone? Why has the series gone for so long with so many? mainline games expansions add-ons and there hasn't been a single female playable character that's a very good question i remember thinking the same thing too and i mean we can talk about our satisfaction with gta 5 if we want to but it is interesting that um in the, in the face of those questions the company uh, rockstar didn't do a whole lot of responding and instead just let the game launch and sell mm -hmm. 150 billion copies and now they're just gonna move on to the next thing I think it would have yeah. been a very interesting, like they changed to having three protagonists, having one of them be a woman, maybe replacing the, um, uh, I feel bad for forgetting his name. Um, Trevor, the, not Trevor, but the other one, Michael or it's Trevor, Michael and the one who I'm Franklin. Yes. Franklin. Yeah. If they'd replaced Franklin with a female, like an African American woman in that role, that would have been interesting. A Jackie Brown situation. <laughs> Perhaps if you want to be to go into the stereotypes, which they might have, but you know, his his well, protege I mean, is now a black woman. That would have been really interesting. Well that's the thing is, you know, to to build off of that, uh, for related to Grand Theft Auto games, I mean, all of these games have been derivative works based on classic film archetypes. Mm -hmm, right? right. I mean, they have been crime films about mafioso and about um, thugs in early 90s, like in San Andreas, and just these yeah. stereotypes, really, in general, about crime in America. And, you know, I think that's where they probably just play it safe. Okay, we'll do three characters, but they're all going to be, you know, the crazy Italian kind of bank robber dude, kind of equivalent of a mafia type. We have the uh, black 
man who has grown up uh, underprivileged and poor and is in the street, as it were. And, and is trying and to stay out of the gang money. life as best as he can. Right. Yeah. And then we have the crazy white hick dude, which is different for them, at least. Like, I guess, right. even though he's a white dude, that's different. But yeah, exactly. They kind of set themselves up for that fair question of we're going to have three characters why do they all have to be kind of these three similar people we've seen in all the grand theft Mm -hmm. auto games i think it would have been really interesting to workshop it differently and have it be you know uh, instead of franklin being a black african-american woman from the same sort of instances and then maybe instead of having it be her friend have it be her brother who's the big knucklehead guy that she has to keep saving but then from there you can be oh Maybe uh, Michael's wife thinks he's cheating on her with this woman instead when it's his protege. Like, that's an interesting character story that could fit right into the narrative GTA V had and add a little bit more interest in there. Well, not divulging from the game world, but you're, you're totally right. Like, there could have been a strong black female protagonist, and even if it isn't a gang role as stereotypical as the rest of the game has been it's still uh kind of the example i'm thinking i mentioned jackie brown but what right. i'm really thinking of is from the second season of orange is the new black v yeah yep. character that if you've seen that i mean she is regardless of her her just evilness she is a strong crazy just insanely smart businesswoman who happens to be kind of a murderous thug and always so rude that one you yes. could have, you, you definitely could have had a godmother, a godmother yeah. in there in, in charge if you wanted to change some of the plot and have a, a different subplot for the, the, the Franklin character, or the, the Francine character, I guess we could call her instead of being a male, have her being female. Do we think that, I mean, this is maybe segueing, which Doug, I know was going mm-hmm. to transition, but do you think that any of this sort of expectation of what a game is is reinforced by the press or by commentators or the audience? Like, why are we still having these representation problems in the industry on a, a wider level? I think it's it's difficult to draw causation, but I think that when you look at the gaming world at from a you know bird's eye view, you have developers, uh, you have press. You have publishing and marketing and media messaging, and then you have consumers. And mm-hmm. when you look at all those cross sections, um, you still see, I think, an overwhelming uh, skew towards, um, in general, men, uh, especially white men. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and, you know, part of that comes from video games, you know, where video games first kind of launched, where they kind of built up an audience. Um, for example, a lot of video games, you know, if you didn't speak Japanese or English, you were kind of out of luck in the uh, in the first years. Um, and even before, honestly, English before all that, because a lot of video games got their origin largely in the U.S. And it wasn't until... Uh, With the white middle class in the 80s being able to buy the home consoles. Right. And then you had, you know, there was the crash after Atari kind of bombed. And then Nintendo came out of Japan and kind of awakened a market there. Um and then brought that success over to the United States too. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the press, there is um, there has been increasingly more conversation about um, why there's so little coverage of you know a these topics, these issues of representation of class of diversity, and um, and also just you know there's been it's been called out in the past that there so many people writing about games are white men. And mm-hmm. is that a problem? Is that yeah. something we should be talking about? Is that something that's going to change? Are people working to change that? Or what is the deal? I think partially it goes it goes back to the the times when games were first starting, when it was seen, when the home console started at least, especially from the NES, I believe they were marketed as toys that were for boys as opposed to toys for girls. And it's it's been downhill ever since. Um, but if you think back to reading history and listening to history of the arcade days, the pre Atari console days, like the Donkey Kong and Miss Pac-Man eras, like the proto eras, like there were bar games for everybody. They were just for young adults, no, no matter whether they're men or women. No. So there's, it's, it's unfortunate that that's precedent had been set. And also it's a greater in America. Like what's the greatest target that every advertiser wants? It's 18 to 34 year old men. And that's still a bad precedent as well. Yeah. 
that's still a focus. I mean, demographics are changing, but yeah, that is still at least the 18 to 34 year old group is important. And the gaming industry specifically, we are seeing, uh, as you mentioned, Doug, it's still the, the result 30 plus years later of marketed to young children who are male or teenagers who are male and it's a toy. So we yep. still have the perception of the gaming industry, despite the billions it makes as a enthusiast toy hobby for the large masses, even though it's grown. And then we still see the biggest games that come out uh, more of a violent nature, more of a male focused nature. But then again, you know, you don't have to be male to enjoy violent games. No, there are tons of women that we know that will play a Call of Duty. It's just that that still seems to be the bro culture that it's focused on. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately that is the focus. Let's see. So we were talking a little bit, but then how that leads into the marketing and the media, especially the media and people who write about games. I think it's partially because of that audience, the audience from the nineties through the nineties and early two thousands, the people who are now old enough to have grown up with games and who want to be in that business um, it's a lot of white men. It's a lot of young white men because that's the target for marketing to games when they were coming out. And there's plenty of the female writers out there who say they were the kind of the outcast or tomboy. They were kind of the weird one because they wanted to be with the boys and play games. And they've been fighting that uphill battle even since they were elementary school kids playing video games. That they were the outside one because they were the girl. Mm-hmm. And there, there are women, like the most recent example was uh, with this recent hiring round that Giant Bomb put out, um, which it was criticized for a number of reasons. Um, full disclosure, I did apply just to see what would happen, um, but I, of course, did not hear back. Uh, and what kind of came out was, um, it was hinted at and then announced on June 30th that um, the two new hires were two white men uh, who both were veterans of Game Informer, veterans of the games journalism industry. So certainly not just, you know, people off the street, random people who were buddies of the staff, but people who had a track record, you know, proving that Giant Bomb saw them as qualified candidates and they both got the job. But the criticism came that, like, this is like, I guess for better or worse, this was one of the more high-profile hiring rounds at a games publication in recent I think recent years. Well, let's 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 classify that a little bit. It was high profile within the circle of people who love games. Right. Yes. And the people who love writing about games. And so basically how I saw this unfold, I think this is more or less how most people saw it was um I follow Maddie Myers on Twitter. She's a writer. She writes for Paste uh, in their games section. Uh she's a good writer in my opinion and um <clears throat> she had applied for the role. Uh, didn't hear back and of course uh, did not was not interviewed was not con- you know uh, contacted and did not get the job and her argument was not that she deserved it necessarily or like anything like that it was just a frustration that she and I, I'm just trying to kind of summarize her words here so I may be wrong but um, this is not an isolated incident that it's there's kind of this sense that um, despite I think years and years of work, tons of clips and various, you know, reputable publications. Um, it's frustrating for her as a woman in this industry to be trying to apply to these, you know, positions at mm-hmm. what are recognized as good publications and to see them go to basically old guard to the new guard. Like, and it's obviously I don't want to oversimplify things by saying that white men are more likely, you know, to, or that this industry is run by white men. But when you look at the faces of the best known uh, games writers from almost yeah. any publication, yeah. by and large, they're white men and there is a real representation problem. And I think that that's where her valid point really comes through is that I totally get why she's frustrated. And I think that she's completely right to speak out against this sort of thing. Not, and I also think that giant bomb obviously has the right to hire whoever they want to, but um what it comes down to, I think, is where my frustration came in was how they responded to it. And um, uh, Doug, Aaron, do you guys want to kind of take it from here? Yeah, um, I was talking a lot with 
Aaron and Nick and Tyler are our, our co-conspirators on Twitter about this when it happened. Um, and to see, well, to, to, to kind of talk about us first, I, I kind of played devil's advocate in discussion asking, are we upset about the nepotism of the hire, the, the closeness of the hire? Like to, to be honest, they hired, um, uh, Alex Ostriker, uh, Alex Ostriker as video production and Dan Reichert, who is more high profile, um, who is to be a new editor for the site. Um, not, not replacing, but filling the seat that's been vacant for about a year of Ryan Davis, rest in peace. Um, and they hired these two guys who are both white men, but Dan Reichert's been a member of kind of the giant bomb circle for a while now. I'm a pro wrestling geek and they do a pro wrestling podcast. That's more funny nonsense than anything else. And Dan Reichert's a huge wrestling super nerd. So of course he and Jeff Gersman get along really well. Um, and so it's like when, when I saw that a month or two ago, Dan Reichert said he was leaving, um, game informer. This was after giant bomb said they had a position open. I put two and two together immediately and knew what was happening. He said he's taking a position in San Francisco. Oh, of yeah. course it's going to be giant bomb. There's no question. Yeah. And also I think, so it seemed like anybody else just didn't have a chance, whether it was Dan Reichert and three other people that were finalists for this position, or just this was a way to get Dan Reichert into the field. Like, Sometimes in in business it happens you open an outside application for people but you have one yeah. person in mind and it's just the machination of we have to go through the process we have to show our steps we kind of have to go through this kabuki play to to get the person we want in because we're dealing Legally, with a big corporation they have to post right that opening in many cases yeah. right if giant bomb was still a smaller outfit if it wasn't owned by a big media comp- com- company they wouldn't be going through this charade. The I don't charade think. as in the backlash or and having to do all this parading? The charade is in the open casting or the open uh, applications mm-hmm. for these positions. Certainly, I think with Dan Reichert's position. This is no shade about him and his qualities because personally, I've listened to some of what he's done so far with Giant Bomb and he fits in perfectly. But it's another white dude that they're hiring who's a friend. And of course, I read Maddie Myers' blog about this and it's heartbreaking. And this is like a this is me looking at a, a different timeline version of myself because I I had dreams of writing for EGM, that was what we started our website on. We wanted to make yeah. this to be clips so that we could get writing jobs in the gaming industry, and it could be me out there working for whoever takes me, pitching freelance, getting told, oh just keep doing it and you'll get the brass ring eventually, and yeah it might come eventually and maybe that's because I'm a white dude. Maybe it comes a little bit easier for that, but it could be any of us. That would be stuck just in the the hell of freelance, especially yeah. now when it's getting such yeah. so smaller and smaller. Like there aren't big magazines propping well, think, up a lot of these places. And when you see time and time yeah. again that the person getting those jobs doesn't resemble you, they have a different they're a different sex, they're a different gender, they're from a different background, they have a different skin color. Right. That that has to hit take you it harder. I, you I, to, that, I saw that the, has to stand out. Yeah, yeah, I saw the perfect example of this the other day. IGN's been doing something. I don't follow IGN too closely, so I don't know what for. But they had this image that was all of their editors or all of the people that are on their site as like a fighting game select screen. And I follow um, Greg Miller, and they had like, oh, today's is Greg versus whoever. Like, who who do you think? Will, I don't know why they think who do you think will win, but it's a game like character yeah. select screen, all the Street Fighter. And you look at the screen, and it's all white dudes. There's like 48 people on this select screen, and 40 of them are white males. Hey, Doug, <laughs> yes. I don't, I don't mean to break it to you too hard here, but have you looked at our staff page? All this right. is where here, we have here's to admit. Full disclosure. Here we go. Yeah, this is full disclosure. Like we're having this discussion about diversity, but all three of us are white dudes, and the other yep. two that are on our staff are also white dudes. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean. So we, we've made a point um, prior to recording this that we're going to um, clarify and be self-aware about our standing and our, perhaps some of you still listening to this right now might think it, um, maybe ironic's not the right word, but potentially even offensive that we are, you know, commenting on this issue of gender and diversity in the industry or in general with who we are, though, of course, you know, my argument is I feel my 
viewpoint is still valid because I'm in support of this change. But mm-hmm. with the giant bomb thing, I think what hit me hard and, you know, a little bit of a side note, I've always kind of been the dissenter within our circle of Silicon Sasquatch that really hasn't, and I use this word not as a uh, negative, but idolized giant bomb. I haven't really done that because I haven't really valued their cult of personality, as I've said multiple times before to you guys. And I know you guys enjoy it and they do do good work. It's not that they don't do good journalism in some form. It's just that it hasn't really been my cup of tea. But I think it still hits me close to home because as Doug was pointing out, like I can see myself as the freelancer in Maddie's shoes, even though she is far more developed and capable as a writer than I am um, and has a lot more work behind her, which is fantastic. But like that idea, as you were saying, Doug, of, hey, that could have been us. We could have been fighting for that. And it sucks to, you know, have that valid body of work and not get considered. That always sucks, which is kind of the, the core point that Maddie and others, other female journalists, other female writers that would have been more than capable of this role, I am sure, it's not because they were women. It's because most of them, I am sure, had a great body of work. They were good journalists. They were good writers, and they could have done the job. Um, but as Nick pointed out, adding to that, that they are constantly running into these uh, sexist issues, the things that Maddie specifically, again, puts anecdotes into her article about GDC, uh, GDC and the culture around that with meeting up with big, powerful male journalist uh, editors and heads of organizations, and she doesn't really name names because, you know, that's not appropriate, and that can lead you down some issues too, but... There's enough context there for people that are involved, let's put it that way. People who are in the industry will know who she's talking about, but she brings up as kind of an aside to a lot of this of the stuff that she runs into, and even with her fellow female writers that are in the industry and just the kind of crap that they go through, I mean, it's a shit system and games journalism is so incestuous and it is so hard to break into to begin with and then to be kind of treated the way that she's been treated which we will post uh, a link to her article and i suggest anyone listening reads it because it's very uh earnest and crushing um Mm -hmm. it just makes me mad because i feel like i can appreciate that anger and i can understand that anger even though I am not in the position she has as being a man and potentially having a better shot than her if we had the same equal amount of work behind us. And that just makes me sick. And that is the bigger problem of why have a a publication, again, the irony of what we are as a website, that is just an echo chamber of hiring two dudes who, regardless of their qualifications and their ability to work with the group, which is important, they want to bring in people who are going to be part of the team really easily. Mm-hmm. But why, as a modern publication, regardless of what you cover, do you want to just echo your own same fucking opinions, your own same fucking viewpoints, your own same background that even if somebody on the staff of Giant Bomb was poor and the other one grew up rich, they grew up in Canada, the other one grew up in Mexico or whatever – if they are still all white dudes, I just think that it sends the wrong message to the future of the game's press. And that just pisses me off in a way that yeah. I, I don't know how to handle that. Like, what do we do going forward? What do we do to, to change the conversation? I, I think, and so in the wake of her article, on Maddie Meyer's article on this, and backlash to that, because we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, Giant Bomb put out an editorial letter from Jeff saying, hey guys, this isn't cool. This isn't good. And I think whether to address to the giant bomb to the community, community, to be clear, to the community. Um, but he said in there that they still think that they're a small community and some of the rules they had for a small community don't necessarily suit what they become. I still think they think they're like us, like small time place, but their reach and their audience has just grown so much. It's a testament to the, to the work they do. Of course. I love giant bomb stuff. It's it's exactly what I want. I don't want the boring old stuff. I want to hear the opinions and the wacky stuff that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. But it they've grown so much and they have to realize that's the position they're in now. And it's a hard thing for any business in any field, but when you're 
dealing with some sensitive issues like they are now, like we're talking about, it's even more important. Yeah, and the response from Gersman at all, like, they know what they were responding to. They weren't unaware of the claims that were being made of their representation problem in the hiring process. Mm -hmm. It was very directed response, and it read more like a response to, hey, guys, our comment system is kind of bad. Our community forums are bad. We should fix that. It, It just seemed to me another case of... Just ignorance or avoiding the issue altogether. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't about their comment section. It was also Twitter. It was also other places well, yeah, saying just like that. Stop, social media. Yeah, stop attacking this person for having an opinion and for being a woman. And that brings Which, us up yeah, to the next. What's the right thing to do? Yeah. But yeah, I personally think that the letter should have been stronger worded. But that's just me. Yeah, I think it would have been. So I'm saying this is a longtime fan of Giant Bomb, and this is what disappointed me more than anything was that. I've noticed over the years uh, a kind of unspoken reticence to engage any issues that um, of, that have to do with things that make, I would think, make the Giant Bomb staff feel separate from other people or address anything that could be seen as sensitive because of culture, um, gender, any of those things. And to see them tiptoe around what was going on here, which was, you know, flat out, uh, which we didn't mention really too much earlier, but after Maddie Myers and her friend uh, Samantha Allen started tweeting about this stuff, and to be clear, Samantha did not apply. She's just a friend of Maddie and was like speaking up for her. And also a woman um, who's been writing in the game space. Yes, also an accomplished writer and uh, even made a game with Maddie, which I they gave a great talk about at Lost Levels, but that's neither here nor there. Um, they both received uh, just an inordinate amount of vitriol um, well, any amount would have been ridiculous, but just an obscene amount of criticism, anger, threats. Um, <laughs> I love this word, mansplaining, <laughs> all this kind of shit. Just like <sighs> basically silencing them either. And even in so many of their defenders, too, were, I think, trying to show support, but doing so in a way that was condescending or belittling yeah. or putting the, the onus uh, upon them to tell them how to react or tell them how to respond to the situation. And it it led basically to Samantha Allen, who is a very active Twitter user to just ditch it in a way that we've seen people like Phil Fish do for different reasons. And that's not good when someone who has a valid criticism to levy is being bullied out of the public space. So, yeah. and that to me is uh, having representation in games is a problem that's, that's moving slowly. And it's, I feel like it's getting there. I feel like this is the much more crucial problem that to be a gamer now means you are some sort of privileged young white male who yells all sorts of racial epithets and hates anybody who has a different opinion than yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the social media element of games press that's come into fashion in the last five, six, seven years or more um, enables that anonymity to just, I don't know, and we'll never know how many of these people really believe this stuff where they just feel like they're jumping on a bandwagon of they're feeling threatened by someone who's a woman for whatever stupid reason it is. But they get to paint this narrative and they get to write this narrative, I should say, and paint this picture of gamers in general. And it really sucks because that is something that I think we've all talked about little bits here and there over the years. And we talk about it with each other in person when we see each other. Um, Just this guilt or the shame or this fear of being identified as a gamer because of stuff like this. Yeah. I am a gamer. Oh, you probably are a sexist pig. And are you high right now? You're high. You're just all well, these it, even it, it predates social media this wasn't on twitter this started on xbox live this started on pc online gaming so so long ago yeah which to it, to counterpoint uh, i guess you know that being my stereotype is the least bad stereotype i could have so i don't want to make it sound like that's a, a burden for me because you know there are clearly bigger issues at play here but that's why I don't feel proud to identify myself as a gamer is because of this community. And uh, something that um, uh, was brought up, and I believe it was in, uh, was it Lee Alexander's piece from that you shared with us, Nick, uh, related to yeah. kind of responding 
to some of this commentary. If you could kind of explain what was that talking about? Yeah, it's like a do's and don'ts uh, article about how to um, combat sexism, mm -hmm. uh, especially as someone who is in a position of privilege, uh, i.e. if you're a dude, how should you, <laughs> what you should and shouldn't do to join the conversation like this. Right. And what, what resonated with that, uh, from that piece with me is, and it's something I try to do in my life when I have these conversations, but truthfully, I, I tend to shy away from <laughs> the uh, stereotypical gamer types. I don't really meet with them in my regular life, and I don't go online just to seek them out and try to put them down because that's just a waste of my time. But when I come across these things, I try to have that conversation that is, you know, uh, educational and informative. She brings up that, yeah, just don't try to back somebody, uh, say, a female developer, uh, a female writer who is being attacked and just reply to everybody on Twitter like, hey, guys, that's bad. Don't do that. And um, I said this before the podcast. And I know that was something Doug wants to kind of maybe build off to close of white knighting the situation and just saying like, you know, guys, that's bad. You know, I I'm here to protect a woman from these, these comments and this negativity and just making it basically like she can't protect herself. And I, as the, the good guy have to take care of her. And that's just a huge problem that I run into. And what she brought up in, in her, her piece is don't just do that stuff on Twitter, actually, implement and take action to these things in, in regular life, in real life, in your circle of friends to, to when that stuff comes up and when people talk shit and ignorance, why aren't we having those direct conversations with them? And that's something I've tried to do. And thankfully, I don't really seem to associate with that many ignorant people anymore. But those are the things that are going to keep happening. And if there's no change in the culture of gamers and society that basically say, hey, stop that. Don't encourage mm -hmm. that. Don't go on G4 and, you know, have a segment about gaming, tits and gaming or whatever. Like, why is that productive to the conversation? We should stop that. Yeah. If that stuff keeps happening and we aren't behind it, even in our limited role as writers and as this, this website that, that makes no money, if we can't reinforce that desire to just level the playing field for everybody involved in gaming, then we're part of the problem too, in a way, even if we don't mm -hmm. directly comment that exactly. way. Yeah, here's I think I think you hit the nail on the head for me, which is that I asked myself this question of like we talk about this gamer culture being steeped in this predominantly white male privilege um, focus and being kind of hostile to anyone who doesn't fit that mold. And I, I was asking myself, where does this culture come from ultimately? Like what reinforces it the most? Is it the game developers who make games uh, under strict guidelines to try and sell a ton of uh, copies so that their publishers can make a lot of money? Or does it come more from the people who are the mouthpieces, mm -hmm. the people who cover these events, who speak for quote unquote gamers or people who follow the games industry? And I think more, and not to flatter us at all, because, you know, we joke a lot about our readership, but like not to belittle that either. But I, I really do think that we need journalists out there asking those, these questions that are important too, because they're the ones who have the most clout with the people making games and they, uh, besides self, sales figures, they have a lot of influence over, you know, what kind of games are being right. made, how they treat uh, directing the conversation. Characters. Yeah. Right. And, and that's why I think that's why, you know, that's why we feel compelled to speak up, at least. And Stephen Totillo of Kotaku had a very good article about this whole problem, diversity in games and lack of diversity in game design. And he mentioned that a lot of people were bringing this up at E3 and not letting it go like asking developers well do you have a female character why not do you have you know gay characters non-traditional not just white dudes or i guess asian dudes for some japanese games as well straight males yeah do you have non-straight male characters and if not why not mm -hmm. and it sounds like they're not letting this go which is good the problem is broader than this, though, because you'll see I don't read too many comments, but I just know that the trend is there for people to yell at the writers for doing that, blaming them for white knighting, which is a bullshit term as well. Sorry, we try to keep it clean on the podcast, but it's a bullshit term. It's not white knighting. OK, maybe some people do that for the wrong reasons. That's another problem with a lot of the men's rights people or whatever that are happening <laughs> right now. They think that because they act nice that they get 
they deserve something in return. Yeah. Doing that is you shouldn't be doing that to then get a kiss on the cheek from the girl yeah. or more. You should be doing it because it's the right thing. And that's what I think is the wrong about this whole conversation about people saying, oh, you're just white knighting this woman who writes about games. No, screw that. You're standing up for what's right. And that sort of commentary saying, oh, you're just white knighting for these people. That's what racists in the South said during Jim Crow to people who are standing up and saying, no, this is bad treatment. This is wrong. You know what? Those people now are heroes. The people who went down from the North or the white people in the South who stood up with the blacks during the civil rights movements. The people now who stand with gay and lesbians and transgenders and everybody else and impose people who hate gay rights. Those people are now heroes because they're on the right side of history because they're against hate. This is what it is. This has turned into hating women straight up, nothing else but. And that's what's so disgusting about gaming culture and a lot of other parts of culture right now. And I feel it comes from a root of conservatism that's coming back up in a lot of places around the world. In, in, in some countries in Europe, it's coming out against, uh, it's coming out of America as well against people who are migrant migrating from one place to another coming out against immigrants. It's coming out against women. It's coming out against people that aren't straight males. And it's really scary and really sad to see. Yep. And I, I couldn't agree more with that. I, you know, it, it detracts a little bit from the gaming topic that we have, but it is, I think an element of that, of ignorance not just related to conservative conservatism, because there are Republicans that just maybe believe in the fiscal policy and that's it. Like, but the cultural, yeah, it's social conservatism. It's definitely social conservatism, the social element and how that fear, I guess, of being told that you're ignorant or you're wrong especially in the gaming community, as we're seeing uh, this backlash to people like um, Manny Myers, to people like uh, when Anita Sarkeesian did her pieces on um, the sexism in games and just the, the death threats and the horrible things that were said yeah. to her. Just this oh. fear of, you know, well, I'm not ignorant. You're just a woman. I don't have to listen to you. And where that's coming from is obviously a huge problem that we can't fix, but you're absolutely right, and whatever the term you want to call it of trying to white knight just to expect something out of it, people that have stood up over time to issues far greater than video games uh, and representation of video games, things like social uh, rights and civil rights, they, of course, probably don't consider themselves heroes. They just were doing what was right. People are calling them heroes now in retrospect, but you're totally correct that just doing the right thing is its own reward and it's doing the right thing because you want to affect change and if in any small way with this very very difficult subject very entrenched mindset of developers in some cases of journalists in other cases of gamers themselves in a lot of cases uh, related to video games Clearly, with our resources and the fact that we can't pay staff outside of us as a volunteer organization to bring in greater voices, we would if we could. And I think that even though Britt, who some of you may remember, was with us for a little bit and she's moved on to to bigger and better things, having just, at least for a short time, a diverse voice is important for us. But realistically, we can't do that with what we have. It's the five of us who are committed to it and do it for free. So if we can't actually employ and pay people to have on staff to write what we want to see, then yes, five white dudes have to try to affect that change by at least being examples of what we want to see in the community. Even if nobody cares what we say or listens to it, reads it, whatever, I think it's far beyond time that we make that step rather than just, you know, writing fluff pieces about the industry and about what game that came out. Like we can at least do that regardless of where we came from. Yeah. Like you, you guys have said it better than I could, but the way I look at it is like, I will, I will never, I respect Maddie Myers. I've been a fan of her for quite a while. I will never have her perspective on life. I will never have her experiences, but I can recognize that 
and I can decide that it is important to listen to her and to consider her positions on things and to say that, okay, I'm, I'm coming from a different angle, but it's important that, that we consider what it's like for people who are different from us. And then we consider what's ethically right in general and how we can recognize when people are acting against that, acting maliciously, acting to demean, debase, degrade others and standing up against it. It's one thing to say, I disagree with your opinion and here's why that's fine. Of course, that's welcome. That's, this is America. This is a free and and wonderful place in the world. And there's many other places where you can have that right to say that as well. The internet, of course, you can do that. That's fine. Fuck you. Okay, that's a little bit ruder. That's not nice. Go back to the kitchen, like gendered slurs. That's not good either. But what these women in gaming, Anita Sarkeesian, um, Maddie Myers, what everybody else is getting is even worse than that. Rape threats, death threats. For having an opinion about video games? Come on, people. Come on, guys. Are you really doing that? Are you really slurring down to that level? Seriously? I was so happy to go to places like PAX the first time when I was in high school or in, in college because I'd been a high school kid who loved games and, and saw that as something I loved and was, was a part of forever. And I was so happy to see there's a community of other people. But I'm seeing more and more that that community is just toxic, or at least there's so many elements of it that are toxic. And otherwise, there's so many elements of it that are benign to the toxicity. And we've been kind of that way, too, because we haven't touched the topic. We haven't broached these subjects and we haven't done enough about it ourselves. We can't change into women who are then going to be fighting this fight ourselves. We can support the ones who do. That's what we're trying to say is we need to be more proactive in being the change in ourselves, whether it's finding voices to write for us who are not white dudes who are straight or finding and supporting the people that make content from those alternative viewpoints. And that's what's most important. Civil discourse and a variety of opinions. Diversity in games will happen as well. I'm, I'm confident of that. I mean, the, we, we kind of brush aside so many things. Like, I just played Mass Effect 3 again a little bit today, or over the weekend. There's a diverse cast of characters in there, and you can play as either a man or a woman. You could be gay or straight. It's fantastic that we can take it for granted that these games also exist. There's other games where the fe- there's female protagonists as well, and not all of them are being so abused or so kind of manipulated in weird ways like the Tomb Raider Laura Croft is now. Um, it's There are alternatives out there. We just have to... Part of this is batting away the cancerous aspects of culture. Part of it is also championing the good stuff. We have to do both. I'm, I'm on board with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, I. Oof, sorry about that. That's, that's the bomb to end <laughs> on, I guess. Yeah, uh, you're you're right, and you know, not to turn this into a pity party about us and where we're failing, um, because that misses the larger point of, you know, like we've talked about supporting the voices that are important in this industry that we care about. But you know, there are improvements that we can make, even in our limited capacity, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yep. And with that, I believe we're going to call this an episode. This has been a heated topic, a heated discussion, and I certainly got into there with up to my elbows in terms of talking about this one. Um, America. It's been, it's been good. I love this. This is great. This is what gaming culture is, discussion and critical discussion that's good. Um, but we just we have to be proactive about batting back the bad stuff. So that's it for this week, this episode. Um, let's tell everybody where we're available. Nick, go ahead. I am on Twitter at Nick Cummings. Uh, that's that's a good place to find me. <laughs> that's it. Aaron? Can't, can't find him anywhere else. Um, <laughs> that's it. I am also on the Twitters. I am at Aaron Thayer. Um, and yeah, you know. I hit up Facebook and LinkedIn. I guess I have a Google Plus, but I never really use it. So Twitter would probably be best, too. So, yeah, I'm on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter as well, at Douglas Bonham. All three of us produce content for Silicon Sasquatch at SiliconSasquatch.com. This podcast will be there. We're working on more articles. We're working on features. They'll be up there. And 
our other two contributors, Spencer and Tyler. Spencer just wrote a great article about watchdogs, surprisingly enough. And we'll have more content with you as well coming throughout the summer. That's all for Mm -hmm. us today. Let's put a bow on this. Be nice to everybody else and support and champion the stuff that needs supporting and championing. That's all for today. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Silicon Sasquatch is an independent blog covering the social and cultural significance of games based in Portland, Oregon. Our five team members are Doug Bonham, Nick Cummings, Tyler Martin, Aaron Thayer, and Spencer Tordoff. This episode of the Squatchcast was produced by Nick Cummings, but that would be me. We publish new essays, editorials, analyses, and everything in between all the time at siliconsasquatch.com. Follow along on Facebook at facebook.com slash siliconsasquatch, or on Twitter, where we are at Sasquatch Gaming. If you enjoyed our show, please tell your friends and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode.